1: Hello and welcome to American Muslim Project I'm Assad Butt. American Muslim Project is a podcast where we share the contributions Muslims are making to American life. In each episode we elevate unique Muslim voices that are shaping this American experience. My guest today is Salman Hamid, Associate Professor of Integrated Science and Humanities at Hampshire College in Amherst, Massachusetts. He is also the director of the Center for the Study of Science in Muslim Societies. Salman holds a Ph.D. in astronomy, but his primary research focuses on understanding the reception of science in the Muslim world and how Muslims view the relationship between science and religion. He recently led a four-year National Science Foundation-funded study on the reception of biological evolution in diverse Muslim societies. I asked him to share a bit more about his research.
2: Well, thank you very much for having me uh, on the podcast. So my primary interest is about how Muslims today in the world interact with modern science, or in short, how do we make sense of being Muslim? in the age that is defined by science and space age and things like that. And so if you ask somebody a question in the Muslim world, hey, what is the relationship between Islam and science? The answer would be almost a reactionary, oh, it's great. That doesn't tell us much.
1: Yeah, so, not a lot.
2: Right. So what I try to do is to look for areas where there is a source of tension, potentially tension and then see how people respond to that so a lot of my work is uh, using evolutionary biology and then seek out how do different people uh, think about it whether it has to do anything to do with science and religion or not whether it people think it conflicts or not or whether it's human evolution or not and so on and so forth so that's a lot of my research is about reception of biological evolution in different muslim societies
1: yeah can, can you share some of your findings i'd love to know
2: sure uh, so i have done oral interviews uh, even though i'm trained as a hard scientist i'm an astronomer by training right but i uh, sort of like have moved more in the direction of social sciences in particular sociology uh, i think it's wonderful and it gives you a little bit more depth so i've done uh, with the help from the National Science Foundation, I had a grant from there to conduct oral interviews with Muslim physicians and medical students, both in the US, England, but also in Pakistan, uh, Malaysia, uh, and Indonesia as well, and Turkey. If I can summarize it, and if you say, hey, what do Muslims think about evolution? And my answer to that would be, I don't know. (laughs) It depends upon-
1: It depends.
2: Which place you are talking about? What Muslim you are talking about? Because there are factors uh, that uh, shape individuals. Some individuals are really interested in whether something in science is theologically connected or not. For others, it doesn't matter. Like, okay, well, hey, uh, I mean, I learned that in biology. It has nothing to do with religion. I keep science and religion separate. For others, it may not be the case. But on top of it, and something that I'm far more interested in are the larger political cultural and social factors that shape reception of evolution and that really determines on where you are and whether there is a place where evolution has been used for identity purposes for political purposes and we are in the us we are familiar with evolution battles here so that's so so in that context That's what I also found, but uh, except that using the lens of how Muslim reception is to evolution, and not surprisingly, I would say, uh, for people who are embedded in Muslim cultures and societies, that Muslims are not monolithic. And so the responses to evolution are not monolithic either.
1: I guess my assumption would would be without... Having read your research is that the more religious you are the more the more that you don't believe in evolution is is that the case uh is there is there an inherent friction in how uh, people read uh, the Quran and then uh, believe in evolution or not
2: great question and that's that's sort of like you know uh, I love it because that precisely is what we were trying to look at and also to dismantle to a certain degree so Normally, you will think, as you mentioned, that we are accustomed to within the US context as well, that the more religious you are, the likelihood that you are going to reject evolution is high. Well, in the Muslim case, so let me give you a few examples. In Turkey, this issue of being religious and rejection of evolution is more pronounced. But it's still not as straightforward because over there, there is a tension between. What, what we would call the secularists over there. And, and that's not secular Muslims, but rather more as a political ideology. Okay. And the Islamists. And so for a long time in the 70s and 80s, the secularists who control the government as well, they used evolution as a marker of progress. And so they would use, and they would say, hey, you know how backward Islamists are? They reject evolution. And the Islamists took that, and I'm really simplifying it. I mean, of course, of course, there's a lot of gray zone. Yeah, they took that and said, you know, we are Islamists, and one of the things we do is we reject evolution. So over there, you can find this kind of polarity in terms of religiosity and acceptance or rejection of evolution. But Pakistan, that is not the case. Very and uh, and in fact, uh, when we did the surveys, when we did the interviews one of the questions we were looking for was well how do we measure religiosity that was one of the questions right so we thought okay well let's look for prayer frequency uh again if you ask somebody whether they are religious or not uh, that's a very subjective question but you can ask how many times you pray right so in Pakistan, i knew that well more religious people usually pray more five times or four times less religious people less and whether we find some correlation with evolution reaction or not. What we found was actually that it wasn't really correlated. Many people who were religious also accepted evolution. Uh, Many people who were not religious also accepted evolution. Here is the fascinating part, and this is what I was interested in. We often focus on why people reject evolution. What we discovered especially, for example, with interviews in Pakistan as well, a lot of people gave us the justification for accepting evolution also through religion. They said, oh, yeah, of course, it's in the Quran. Or yes, I've read sort of like, you know, that water started, uh, that life started in water. And so it was mentioned in the Quran. So of course, evolution is true because it is in the Quran, right? Now, I'm not making a statement here, again, coming from a research perspective, whether that is a correct statement or not i am interested and what fascinates me is how do people make sense of this question and so what i was fascinated by was people using religion to justify acceptance of evolution as well and in fact in textbooks in pakistan now there's a big debate going on about curriculum changes in pakistan right now but up until now the most textbooks These are state, these are government textbooks used in biology, ninth grade and 12th grade. They actually, on the chapter of evolution, it starts with a Quranic verse. Wow! And then it goes on and talks about that evolution is actually a fact of science. In fact, in one of the provinces, they would spend a couple of pages talking about the Islamic conception of evolution. They use Quranic verses and they say, like, you know, look revolutionary the quran is talking about evolution and then it concludes literally it concludes by saying now that we have seen there is no conflict between evolution and islam now let's talk about the science of evolution and then it goes on to explicitly say that it is a fact of science now it never touches human evolution but it never says Anything against human evolution as well
1: yeah no that, it's it's really fascinating research and and I wonder you're an astronomer by training why Why did you decide to to do this project
2: well that's a that's a good question, and that takes <laughs> me back uh, I grew up in Pakistan, and uh, I got interested in astronomy because of Carl Sagan like uh, there, there is this uh program called Cosmos. And that was being shown in 1984, so a few years after the U.S. on state television. I would never have seen it if I knew that it was a documentary because I was in (laughs) ninth grade. I'm like, (laughs) here's a documentary. Like, you know, if somebody would have said, you know, there is a documentary coming up on TV, I would have said, yeah, right. I'm like, you know, I'm skipping it. (laughs) I just thought that this was kind of like some science fiction show because i had seen some shows some probably some terrible movies i don't remember but with cosmic queen or cosmic something i thought this was a science fiction show but here the show started and this guy with a weird brooklyn accent talking about astronomy and i was just fixated
1: that was your first that was your first exposure to astronomy
2: yeah i mean i kind of liked astronomy but i didn't know what really it was nor to the fact that it that people do it as a profession i, I mean understand. i knew yeah oh i like sitting out looking at the stars or learning about a little bit about planets but uh being in pakistan your only options are uh if you are good at academics then you go either become a doctor or an engineer okay. uh, or you go new things were coming out like uh, maybe MBA, right you know that was another thing that you could do so yeah. I liked sciences, so I was going into engineering. That was my sort of path trajectory. And then I watched Cosmos, and the last 10 minutes of Cosmos, Sagan talks about the cosmic calendar in which he compresses the entire history of the universe, 15 or 14 billion years, into a calendar year, uh, and in which Earth forms in September. And then humans are like, all of human history is in the last day and the last second on this, basically we are on December 31st and everything that we know of, or the written records are in the last second of that year. Wow. And my jaw, I I, I just, you know, it's one of those moments I just remember, I was just like, whoa, what happened here? Right. Sure. And at the end of that episode, one episode, I was like, I want to be an astronomer. <laughs> and so... <laughs> And then, of course, it took many, many, many years. I came here for my undergrad of physics and astronomy. Then I went to New Mexico. I did my PhD. Uh, But that time and that context and cosmos, for people who haven't seen it, it wasn't just an astronomy show. It really looked at human ways of exploring who we are in the universe. So it was not, so it would go and talk about uh, Alexandria. It would talk about uh, Champollion and sort of like, you know, how Egyptian hieroglyphics were deciphered because he would then connect it to what if we get an alien signal? So there were all of these cultural elements in it, which I absolutely loved. And uh, so I did my astronomy PhD and my postdoc were as straight astronomy as possible. I actually worked on how, Stars forming galaxies. I used telescopes in Chile, in Hawaii, in Arizona. Yeah. And so that was wonderful. Uh, but I was also intrigued by one other thing. Uh, when I was in New Mexico, that's where I did my graduate work, uh, I would be a TA, like for astronomy classes. And I would find these uh, students, undergraduates, very smart kids, very smart in astronomy and sciences. And yet they believed in UFOs and aliens or alien abductions so to me that puzzled me because i was at that time naively i was under the impression that well i mean if you are smart if you are well educated you shouldn't believe in ufos or flying saucers or alien abductions and things like that and i was like this doesn't make sense why are smart educated students in the u.s believing in things that we don't think are real and same thing was i was also confronted for the first time which was ironic about creationism because some kids undergraduates in new mexico would say no we believe in a young earth and to me that was also puzzling i was like but there is so much evidence that the earth is old why is that the case right so i think those factors me to start uh, to get my interest going of why do people believe what they believe and what factors shape it? And of course, I myself, growing up in a religious context, these questions became more and more interesting. to me.
1: We'll be right back. After the break, Salman tells us if he believes there are other life forms in the universe. This is American Muslim
3: Project. This podcast is sponsored by Talkspace.
1: Welcome back to American Muslim Project. My guest today is Salman Hamid, the professor at Hampshire College. One of the classes that he teaches is called Aliens, Close Encounters of the Multidisciplinary Kind. That class looks at the claims of UFOs and the psychology of alien abductions. I asked him about the class and to convince me that there aren't little green aliens out there.
2: My answer would have been without any qualifications even a few months ago. But more recently, UFOs have been in the news. New York Times has yeah, been filling a lot out, about it. and so a lot of people actually ask me. Uh, a lot of people who never believed in UFOs, they still say, "Hey, so what's going on?" Because I teach this class, so uh, so I don't want to take too much time because, as you can imagine, I teach a whole semester of it, so I can speak yeah. <laughs> for for months <laughs> about this sure. topic, right? And I love this topic. Uh, just based upon the origin questions, like, you know, origin for the class. I, I'm interested in origins of various things. I used to teach a class on critical thinking about how to think about claims about astrology or evolution or, a, or aliens, UFOs, palmistry, and things like that. What I discovered was that that was not a very interesting class. It became a debunking class, meaning to say, you go know, like, you know, Why something is wrong? Yeah, astrology has no basis. Why it doesn't have any basis? The problem was uh, that practically students who believed in astrology would still continue to believe in astrology because there was a foundational scheme. But in my class, they would become more skeptical about UFOs and vice versa, right? They would be like, yeah. oh, yeah, you know, so if they didn't believe in astrology, <laughs> but they believed in UFOs, they would be like, well, UFOs, of course, I personally know that's true. Oh, but astrology now, you know, I can see why astrology doesn't work. To me, that was not the point. And also, that was my growing appreciation of other factors and the meaning that people have to these beliefs. Just debunking it, taking astrology. I mean, I used to be much harsher towards astrology. Oh, astrology, I'm really annoyed by that. I, I still sometimes do when somebody calls me an astrologer, but,
1: <laughs> but
2: I have a lot more respect and appreciation for why people would believe in astrology. Why is that? Well, we want to have some sort of control. I mean, there are a lot of uncertainty in life and This is another way of giving us an illusion of control. Like, you know, that, okay, I'm going to make a decision, which I think it's good, whatever. But you know what? But what if the stars are aligned as well? It gives me a little bit more backing to my decision. So, what, and what I try to do or used to do, they take a little bit of a historical stance to astrology, for example. So, 500, 600 years ago, 700 years ago, cities used to have horoscopes. So London oh. has a horoscope. Baghdad actually was founded on a particular date that was auspicious from Zoroastrian astrology.
1: Fascinating.
2: And so the at that time, Abbasids who had just taken over, they were founding this city. So they wanted to use Zoroastrian, the previous empire, imperial astrology, so that people trust them. They are not just foreigners. They understand the local stuff. And so Baghdad has a very particular date it was founded and that was based on astrology london has a particular founding date and it has an astrology so people would cast horoscopes for cities now you go like we don't see any horoscopes of cities today yeah right exactly because at that time it was to predict fires in the cities as well it would predict and then you would also have weather for a whole year round based on your astrological chart. Why don't we do that today? Well, because you have a weather app. You look at it, in (laughs) fact, you can actually say, you know, (laughs) my weather is telling me tomorrow it's going to rain at 12 o'clock, it's going to start, right? Yeah. We don't need astrology. We actually have another way that is telling us that what the weather is going to be. And fires, there is a much better control of fires. But guess what we still don't have? really good predictive theory of human behavior. Sure. And that's the reason why you still have astrology columns and people believing in astrology. And it has a meaning. You know, I mean, I mean, in some ways, and I've been to psychics. Oh, I that's that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> For the same <laughs> reason. I mean, I wanted to experience it. Right? So I, I, I attended psychic sessions. I, I would go there. And I, I would be honest, like, you know, that I would not say anything that is false. But I wanted to see how they respond to me. And they would ask me questions, uh, say, for example, about my job or my love interests or whatever. And I wanted to see how they responded, and then how do I feel about it? Right. And and walking out of it, I felt, wow, that person was very accurate. So why did I feel she was so accurate? And that was because she was telling me or telling me things about myself right so for example oh you have i see that you have uh so like not many a large number of friends but you have few very close friends now she is saying few but in my mind it gets translated as well, how did she know that i have four four close friends or five close right, friends right, right. but for she sure. never said that right so right. she has very so once i wrote it down it was fascinating to me that she was giving Very broad category answers. My brain, when it's listening to it, and since it's about me, I'm filling in those specifics and being very impressed by it. How does she know the specifics? Right? So it was more about to get a feel for that. And to a certain degree, she was very concerned because I was not volunteering a lot of information. And as you can see, I can speak a lot, but you know, when I'm there, I'm not there. I was listening for her, what she tells me. So she literally at one point she said, you know, I see that you have trouble opening up. So I would like like, you know, that I think I could light a spiritual candle for you. And that will really help you cast out those doubts about yourself and so on and so forth. So it, it turns into a little bit of um, therapy session. Sure. Yeah. And so people yeah. can go to a Therapist, and some people also attribute sort of like supernatural powers to therapists, too, <laughs> you know, which they shouldn't. But uh, so that's the same type of thing. There is a role that astrologers are playing. Uh, but as you can see, all of these things have a parallel thread of belief and the factors that shape those. So coming back to the aliens class, <laughs> yeah, that was a very long detour. Uh, coming back to it, I was interested in not debunking, and I'm still not. I was interested in understanding why people believe in extraterrestrials, if they do, and what kind of factors have shaped their beliefs, and what role do these beliefs play in their lives.
1: Yeah. So, gun to your head, somewhere out there, is there uh, an advanced form life form that, that is out there?
2: Yes. So uh, so there are two parts, a two-parter. If you ask a question, is there life elsewhere in the solar, in the universe? 100% absolutely yes. In fact, I would even say that is there life in our solar system? Yes. The bigger question that comes in is the complex life. And right. then it de- depends upon what you mean by complex, but sort of like, you know, uh, I think the real boundary line and i think that's what everybody is interested in is is there life elsewhere that has technology to travel between the stars yeah right uh and my answer to that question and you can have the drum roll here and that is <laughs> in our whole galaxy probably yes because we have a few hundred billion stars we have a tr- trillions of planets just in our own galaxy, and then there are yeah. 100 billion galaxies. So the scales are sure. so high that to think that we are the only ones. I mean, that's just, to me, that's far more unbelievable, right? Yeah. But then there is, I had said two-parter, but the three, third part of it is, <laughs> do we have any evidence for visitation from these advanced civilizations? Or there, I would say no. Even though I would love to believe that we don't have evidence. Have they visited? Maybe. But yeah. can we be sure that here is the evidence that they have visited? I don't think so. So that's, and and we talk about these type of things in my course as well. And I've looked at the recent Pentagon reports. Uh, I've uh, looked at all of New York Times coverage. I discuss that quite a bit in my class as well. And I think that is unfortunately bad journalism. From the New York okay. Times, it's driven by clicks, uh, and then it generates its own momentum. That Congress then said, "Hey, why is New York Times reported on that?" And then the New York Times, uh, then the Congress held a hearing that, in itself, became a news. And then they For said, sure. "Hey, Pentagon should release a report," and they did, and that in itself became a news, and so on and so forth. So it has taken its own life, uh, and I'm really, uh, I have very strong feelings about it, even though I said. For a lot of things, I keep my distance. But on this particular issue, the way New York Times has reported, I think it's dangerous for democracy. It's dangerous for at a time when we are dealing with QAnon conspiracies, we are dealing with vaccine skepticism. At a time like that, the way they reported the UFO story, because if you look into the details, and I did because I'm really immersed in it, Right? I mean, a lot of people are not, and that's why a lot of very smart people say, hey, what's up going on? You know? And that's a valid question, because unless you are seeped in it, you would think there is something. But if you just scratch the surface, and that's what New York Times should have done, the story falls apart because the people that are making these claims believe in crazy stuff. And no. you go like, these are, and like, you know, so anyway, I don't want to go into the details about that, yeah, here, of but at another time, but I just find I, I'm, I'm really disturbed by the way this story has unfolded. And the, uh, I mean, I think it's irresponsible at a time when we have all these other vaccines, sure. climate change, for example, like, you know, all of those things. So if you want to be really clear where science is, and uh, that yeah. wasn't the case.
1: Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, That brings me, one question I like to ask um, my guests is, do you have a uniquely American Muslim experience that you want to share?
2: Yeah, I was thinking about it. And I mean, I can give you a lot of experiences of going through customs and immigration, but then I was like, you know what? We all have those stories. But that's not unique at all. Like, you know, everyone, yeah, (laughs) you know, you were pulled out. Yeah, I had this an hour over there and so on and so forth. That's not unique. That's a more canonical Muslim, American yeah. Muslim experience. Uh, one thing that happened in undergrad, which was fascinating, uh, and I'm thinking that is more unique, was in my undergraduate astronomy class. And that has to do with the issue of Eid. So when you have the end of Ramadan coming up, uh, I was an undergraduate astronomy guy, and I was a gung ho astronomy person. and I was always in there, loved my classes. Professors knew me very well. And I told my professor, astronomy professor, mind you, you know, I may not be in class tomorrow or I may not be in class the day after tomorrow. And so he was he was very nice. He was like, okay, all right. Um, ask why? And I was like, well, you know, we have this end of Ramadan and it is dependent upon the sighting of the moon, new moon. And uh, <laughs> like, you know, so that's why. And he was an American, white professor, nice guy, very polite. And he scratched his head and he looked for words, I'm assuming. And then he said, he says, you know, it's none of my business, but uh, you know, you're an astronomer and (laughs) you know, we can calculate when the new moon is. Uh, So I'm wondering what is the issue? And then I had to go through and explain him. Yes, we can figure that out, but people some people don't sort of like you know follow that they think no seeing the new moon is uh is important and then he understood it uh, although I'm not sure he agreed with it and neither did I i mean i don't agree with that and that led to so i was on long island i was in stony brook and i remember the following year i actually advocated to the islamic center over there to use uh, calculations and this is back in early 90s. So now there are a lot more, uh, there's a lot more debate about that. And there are a lot of some kind of uh, sort of like Islamic centers have taken a particular positions now, like, you know, that you yeah. can think about early 90s, it was much more fluid. And I remember that the Islamic center that I was part of in, uh, on Long Island, they decided they got convinced, they got, like, oh, yeah, we should use calculation. I thought that would actually reduce the chaos. But as it turns out, uh, then that year there were three different dates for Eid, or just on Long Island,
1: oh, wow. <laughs> because wow, did,
2: because there were already two that were different because they were following sure. either the Saudi Arabia or sighting of the new moon, and then we used calculation which turned out to be different from those two, and so that even was sort of like you know uh, even more chaos. Uh, nevertheless, I mean I think that is an issue, uh, the moon sighting one. Uh, I feel, especially being in the U.S., it's a fascinating one uh, because we are all, not all, I mean, some of us are coming from other countries, some of them growing up here, but this is much more an American context on how people make decisions about it.
0: Yeah, and, uh, and
2: in fact, uh, U.S., if I remember correctly, what Pew had a survey about that. I think they said that The U.S. has the most diverse population in the whole world. Yeah, that's much more diverse, and so moon sighting, I think, will be an interesting one to look for. Like you know, that how do people make sense of it? I mean, is it should it based on science? This is the country where I mean, yes, we did go to the moon. You know, we are landing rover. We have rovers driving on Mars, and here this question is coming up. Should we look at the new moon to celebrate something or not? And of course, this gets tied into the fact whether, like, you know, you have the next day off or not. Kids want to take school. If a city or state is thinking about a national holiday for, or not, or at least a holiday for Eid, New York City does that. Well, should it be unreliable? It's maybe tomorrow it may. You cannot. So there are practical issues. There's a capitalistic system.
1: Of course, and, yeah. You know,
2: religious and all of that stuff. So, uh, so my, I would think that you know that would be a relatively unique experience of being an astronomer, and having to explain to my astronomy professor that, I don't know whether I'll be in your class or not because of the sighting of the new moon.
1: I love it. <laughs> that is that is fascinating for sure, no doubt. Uh, well, thank you for joining American Muslim Projects, Salman. This has been a great uh, conversation, and and look forward to having you on again.
2: Thank you very much, and thank you with the project. This is wonderful.
1: My conversation with Salman Hamid was recorded in July of 2021. We'll have links to everything that we talked about in our show notes. We'll also have links to some of his other projects. For example, Salman also runs a science and religion blog with an emphasis on scientific debates that are taking place in the Muslim world, and he also hosts an online astronomy video series specifically for the Pakistani audience in the hopes of inspiring the next generation of astronomers from that country. Thanks again for listening. American Muslim Project is a production of Rafaleon Media. Today's show was produced and edited by Marcanato, Lindsay Gamble, and me, Assad Butt. Simon Hutchinson did our theme. You can follow us online at americanmuslimproject.com.